Bangor Worldwide has been promoting and supporting World Mission for over 85 years. Our podcasts are free of charge. You can find out more about us at www.worldwidemission.org. We hope you enjoy this talk. Thank you. Thank you, Harold. I, to say that I, I feel honored is really an understatement to take part in the Bangor Worldwide Missionary Convention. Thank you for the privilege of being asked to expound the scriptures during this incoming week. The theme, of course, for the convention is you shall be witnesses to me or for me. Well, that statement was made by Jesus just before his ascension. And it was in response to a really provocative and bold question asked by what we would call today Messianic Jews. These were followers of Yeshua, of Jesus. They were convinced he was Messiah. He was the anointed of the Lord. And they had been with him. They probably struggled greatly during the whole process of his execution. They just didn't seem to fit in with what their plans were. But when he rose from the dead, suddenly their lives were transformed. And, and he ministered to them for, for a month, for 40 days, teaching to them about the kingdom of God. And then he came to this point where he spoke of a baptism, not like the baptism of John, which of course was extraordinarily significant in that it launched Jesus. It was like his ordination. It was his commissioning to do the will of the Father. But he spoke of another baptism, a baptism of fire, a baptism of the Holy Spirit. And, and these guys asked, hey, is this it? Is this what we have been waiting for in terms of us as Jews with regard to the land? Now, I, I think you must identify with them for a moment. These are people who, who are frustrated. Whether they are still feeling in exile or not, that's Tom Wright's conviction. Well, you can debate and discuss that. But certainly there was a sense of injustice. One empire after another had taken over the land. They felt alienated in their own community. They felt like exiles in Babylon, even though they were in the land. So when Messiah comes, the one who they know is going to bring shalom, the justice and peace of God, you can understand why. They would say, Lord, is this it? Is this the time when you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, it's fascinating to me that we can so identify with the thought and reflections of these Jewish followers of Jesus. I, I can't believe, for example, that I'm living in the same Ireland that I began my ministry in almost 40 years ago. I was reading a quotation of Mark Twain's, who apparently 
in the beginning of the 20th century, had a group of young students in front of him, and he said to them, you know Methuselah, he lived 969 years, and what he experienced in those thousand years is nothing to what you were going to see in sort of transformation over the next 50 years. Well, if that was true at the beginning of the 20th century, how much more true is it for us in the 21st century? When I began my ministry in Hamilton Road in Bangor, they were still debating whether you should have swings open on a Sunday. When I went to the Irish Republic, you know, you, you couldn't have contraceptives. Divorce was not permitted. Abortion was, was not permitted under any circumstances. And here we are, followers of Jesus, followers of Yeshua. And many of us feel that we are almost in exile in Babylon. Now, when we feel that, our response will be the same as those who spoke and asked this question of Jesus. It always seems to produce in us two things. What is speculation as to what will ultimately happen and what is going to happen? And the other is an insular parochial thinking. That is why they, be, they were asking the question about whether or not the kingdom would be restored in all its fullness now. Their dream, you see, was that old men and old women would again sit in the streets of Jerusalem and each man with his staff in his hand because of age. And the streets of the city will be filled with boys and girls playing in its streets. Their hope was that justice would roll down like rivers and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. And they would together would be able to sing, free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, we are free at last. Well, we... We have the same dreams because of the hope of the gospel. And what it does in situations like this, it produces comparable speculation. I, I am shocked when I go into bookshops, particularly in the United States of America, of those who are telling us exactly what's going to happen based upon reading the apocalyptic writings in Daniel or, or Revelation. It's, it is extraordinary to me with Gog and Magog and Russia or whoever, and, and all the toes on the monster in the book of Daniel. It's all clearly prescribed, all with regard to the United States of America and its role vis-a-vis -vis Israel. We, we speculate, and we speculate here. But it also produces an extraordinary level of parochial and insular thinking. You see, their, their response was, when they knew that, that the Holy Spirit was going to come, was, will you restore it to us, to Israel, all the benefits that we have dreamt of? Well, at a national level, that's how people think, isn't it? There is still this parochial thinking among us that if Ireland could only be united, then we could be a nation once again. If the Brexit negotiations are really successful, then we will have a truly great Britain. And then, of course, in the United States of America, a president who's going to make, in an insular parochial sense, America great again. That's how we respond. And Jesus says, this is not as how it ought to be.
I also find it fascinating <laughs> that, that as a Presbyterian, you know, we, we, we meet, and even though statistically we are in decline, uh, according to the statistics, you know, 50 people a week leave the Presbyterian Church. I, I don't know who they are, but apparently they keep leaving. It's true of the Church of Ireland and of the Methodists. We are, we are struggling. And so what happens is we gather in assembly or synod or in the House of Bishops, and we, we exist as if nobody else is on the island of Ireland except us. And we make decisions without reference to any other community of faith. And the prayer we offer is, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to us? And the response of Jesus to such thinking is that you need not just to understand the ultimate missio dei mission of God, but you need to be drawn into it and become a participant in the vision for the coming of the kingdom in this world. So he says, you shall be witnesses to me. Lads, he says, you need to have the big picture, the cosmic vision of world mission. When he says, you shall be witnesses to me, I think there are really there are two things that we need to notice in this passage. The one is that the focus is upon the witness to Jesus. It's really all about Jesus. And we who are evangelicals, if we feel essentially it's about the distinctive doctrines that we have, or even, might I say provocatively, even about the authority of Scripture, we are losing the focus and intent of the gospel. The creeds, the confessions, the distinctives that we have, even the Bible itself is not an end in itself. The whole purpose of God giving us these things is to bring us to Jesus so that we might see the light of the knowledge of the glory of God on the face of Jesus Christ. We are to witness to Jesus. But what is the nature of this witness to be? I, I find it fascinating tonight that missiologists and, and, and contemporary theologians discuss whether or not we ought to focus upon the Gospels or upon the Apostle Paul in his messages. Most of us who have been raised in the Reformed and Evangelical tradition, and I use that in a broad sense, understand the Gospel in almost exclusive terms with regard to the Pauline understanding of justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That is the gospel. And, and therefore, the message of the kingdom that you find in the gospels, which was Christ's primary emphasis, is a subset of the Pauline emphasis. Now, there are those who are saying it ought to be the other way around. That the emphasis about the coming of the kingdom through Jesus Christ as you see taught by Jesus, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, and that the gospel of justification taught by Paul is a subset. Well, I, I am really, I have to tell you, not particularly happy or content with either of those. For me, the nature of the witness that we have to Christ is given more clearly by the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 than anywhere else in the Scriptures. This is the gospel that he has received. This is the tradition that has been passed on to us.
Let me reflect for a moment to those days at Trinity with Harold and co. One of the things we did was we went to Swanwick, many of us, I'm, I'm not sure if Harold was there or not, for the 50th anniversary of InterVarsity. Now, Jim Packer was there. I remember he was, you know, doing seminars on the authority of Scripture. That was his thing. But the keynote speaker was Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the last of the Puritans, he has been called. I want to tell you, I, this was the greatest sermon I have ever heard in my life. It still rings in my ears. I can still hear the doctor's voice. It was truth on fire. The heart of the gospel, you see, is about Jesus. That he died for our sins according to the scriptures. And he was raised from the dead according to the scriptures of which there are many witnesses. You see how it brings those two emphases together. The according to the scriptures means you have to understand who Jesus is and why he died on the basis of what had been given clearly by the prophets in the Old Testament with regard to the coming of the anointed one who is the king. And he died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was raised from the dead according to the scriptures. If you read the sermons of the Acts of the Apostles, those by Peter and by Stephen and by Paul, this is the sum substance of the message that they preached. It is about Jesus. But the second thing, which is slightly more odd, perhaps, is that Jesus' emphasis is about place. You shall be witnesses in a certain place in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the world. You see, Jerusalem is a place. Judea is a place. Samaria is a place. What we have here clearly is, is the expectation of the nations of the world being drawn into the kingdom I, I remember reading by Richard Mao, a wonderful exposition of Isaiah 60 following, which he called when the kings go marching in. It finds its fulfillment in Revelation 21 and 22, when all the riches of the nations begin to bring their cultural resources into the presence of the new Jerusalem. It is the ultimate fulfillment of the kingdom of God. It is not simply that we are preaching so that individuals will respond. Yes, we must preach that in such a way. But the expectations of Jesus was that the nations would come. It is a cosmic vision. It is a world vision of mission. There is in this the 500th anniversary of the Reformation, much discussion among, uh, among scholars as to the level of emphasis the, the reformers had on mission. But yes, they did. They had it in perhaps a peculiar way. 
They believed passionately in that the nations needed to come into the presence of God and to be under the authority of Christ. That is why they are called magisterial reformers. That is why they built these relationships with elect the electors of Palatinates and, and monarchs and kings and queens. Now you may question how they did it and, and the consequences of how they did it, but their motivation was fundamentally the missionary vision of the cosmic reign of Jesus Christ when the nations would come under his authority. He would reign until he brought all his enemies under his feet. I, I know you are, you are familiar with, with Handel's Messiah. It's just a great oratorio. I'm sure it's been performed here in the cathedral. The passage, I suppose, that you're most familiar with is the Hallelujah Chorus. You probably realize that, that Handel wrote this in a very relatively short period of time. In fact, according to the, what's been passed on to us is that he hardly ate or slept. He, he just kept writing and writing until it was completed. And on one occasion, when, when a servant came to bring him food, she found Handel with tears running down his face. And he said, I, I, I saw heaven open and I, I, I think I saw God himself. He had just written the Hallelujah Chorus. Now, I've often thought to myself, why is it where it's placed in the oratorio? If this great hallelujah is, is to be heard with angels and archangels and all the host of heaven, with the church militant triumphant, with all the created order proclaiming hallelujah to the Lord, why is it not at the end? Well, you see, Handel knew the scriptures. It is following the resurrection of Christ from the dead and his exaltation that there is this universal acclamation where he is honored. That is why it is in the context of mission. As he is honored and all authority is given to him in heaven and on earth, and there is this outpouring of praise, Handel carefully weaves into this over and over again the kingdoms of this world shall become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. This is world mission. We are to witness to Jesus with the expectation that Christ will reign over all. Well, I suspect if you are at all like those disciples who are listening to this, they must have thought in a lovely Dublin expression, what? Really? I mean, there are 120 of us here, and sure, we're going to pray and wait, but, but is this going to happen? You see, when Jesus said, you shall be witnesses, it was not a command. It is not in the imperative. It's in the indicative. 
because he said, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria until the uttermost parts of the earth. The key to this, of course, is the coming of the Holy Spirit. If you think we can achieve this by political machinations or careful business planning or even being effective as apologists, I'm afraid it will not happen. Without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, our witness is a waste of time. Only the Spirit can open the minds and hearts of people and, and to see the truth of the gospel in Jesus Christ. It is the need of this hour, is it not? Let me close by, by just saying to you that just beyond the cathedral quarter, there, there's, well, it's, it's a, little, a little way beyond the cathedral quarter, but there's a street called Berry Street. There was a Presbyterian church there. It's important to me because it's where I met my wife. I was married there. Her dad was the pastor. And in the 1960s, he had an amazing ministry. He reestablished expository preaching. It may seem odd to many today, but, you know, they were queuing to get in on Sunday evenings. They were, you couldn't find a seat. People were standing. And he would preach for up to an hour. And people were mesmerized, captivated by the power of the gospel of truth on fire, which is what true preaching is. Karis told me last night we were having dinner that there were 20 missionaries who went from that church at that time, all over the world. And she was able to name them. I found that extraordinary. Named because she had been praying for them all those years. But, but it wasn't just they were sent out, but, but many came back and they, they made their home in Berry Street. And, and there was a couple... You know that some Presbyterians can be po-faced and prickly. Perhaps that's not unique to Presbyterians. But these were the most wonderful, godly, human people, mischievous and loving. This old couple called the Taylors. They were only Mr. and Mrs. Taylor. There was none of this informality about Christian names. Mr. and Mrs. Taylor had spent almost their entire life in Africa with Kwaibu Mission. Mr. Taylor had a marvelous gift of intercessory prayer. I remember Glenn Harris's father telling me about a prayer meeting where, as he was praying, he then began to sing. And, and he chose Psalm 85, the Scottish metrical version. I, I should tell you, in Berry Street, it, it wasn't like the cathedral today with bands and organs and, oh no, no musical instruments. 
the singing of the Scottish metrical psalms. And as Mr. Taylor began to sing, you see the rest of them in four-part harmony could, could join in in singing this psalm. And, and let me tell you, I, I want this to be my prayer for you and the prayer for the Bangor Convention. These are the words. It is the prayer for the reviving and renewing by the Spirit of God. Listen to them. Lord, wilt thou not in mercy turn? Turn and be our life again. That thy people's hearts may burn with the glory of thy reign. And the people of God said, Amen. Thank you. We trust you've enjoyed this podcast. If you'd like to make a donation to support the work of Bangor Worldwide, please visit www.worldwidemission.org slash donate.